The following message was recorded at Fountain of Life Fellowship in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com. Good morning, Fountain of Life. Uh, as always, it's an honor to share this time with you and to dive into God's Word together. Today we're going to be in Mark chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 35 and go all the way through chapter 5. And what we're going to see here is uh, these incredible accounts of Jesus' life and the amazing things he's done. So we're going to be in Mark chapter 4, verses 35, all the way to the end of chapter 5. We're continuing our series, Christmas series, on how Jesus is the Lion and the Lamb. And we're seeing... uh, His greater beauty in this conjunction of his strength and his power, his humility, and his kindness. This morning, we're going to see that from the Gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 4, verses 35 to the end of chapter 5. Let's hear the word of the Lord. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the boat, they took him with them in the boat. Or leaving the crowd, they took him with the boat, uh, just as he was, and other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs. Let us enter them. So he gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. And the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and were drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country. And people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. 
As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. When Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then, he came, then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I'll be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one ex to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age, and they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this incredible account of Jesus Christ and who he is. And Lord, I pray that as we encounter you and your son through your word, Lord, that your word would have its intended effect, that we would not be afraid, but instead see you for who you are, trust you with all we are, and know your peace. Uh, Lord, you know uh, what's going on in our minds and our hearts as we sit here this morning um, and we pray that as we hear your word, your Holy Spirit would work fundamentally and powerfully in everyone who hears. Uh, show us who you are and draw our hearts to you and let us be transformed as we believe what you say. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
So I wonder, what is a better descriptor of your heart this morning? Are you more fearful or more peaceful? Um, Here's some definitions to help us get clarity on these feelings. Fear is an unpleasant emotion caused by the belief that someone or something is dangerous, likely to cause pain or a threat. Even as I define that, we all know fear. It can be palpable, can't it? You can feel it stabbing. On the other hand, there's peace. Peace is freedom from disturbance. It's tranquility. The sense that everything's okay. So which one is more defining of your heart lately? Are you more peaceful or more afraid? And some of you might say, hey, I don't get afraid. Well, well, all right. Have you looked at your anger? Anger is often an expression of fear, isn't it? Where's anger flaring in your heart? You know, as I ask this, of course, we realize there's a healthy kind of fear. When danger is at hand, you need to act, especially to protect others. That can be a healthy fear. Although there's an unhealthy kind of peace, maybe apathy, where there should be concern. But many, many times it's the other way around, isn't it? Isn't it easy to have this unhealthy sense of fear that's dominating, that's influencing, and a distinct lack of peace? So the question for today is what is it that can move our hearts from fear to peace? We're continuing our Christmas series this morning. It's inspired by this wonderful theme in the book of Revelation. The theme is how Jesus is both lion and the lamb. Taking our cues from Jonathan Edwards who wrote, there is an admirable conjunction of diverse excellencies in Jesus Christ. As Edwards saw that picture of Christ and imagined the greatness and terror and majesty of a lion, but then also the meekness and gentleness and humility of a lamb, to see those attributes simultaneously in one and the same person that makes that one person, our Lord Jesus, all the more beautiful and all the more trustworthy, exactly the one our hearts need. So we're looking at these stories of Jesus from the Gospels that display this admirable conjunction Edwards was talking about. We're working backwards chronologically to his birth. So this morning we're going to encounter an incredible series of events events in the life of Christ from the Gospel of Mark. And we see in these accounts that Jesus faces so many of our fears. He faces the natural disaster of a terrible storm. He faces deep spiritual evil in this man who's horribly possessed. He faces sickness, rejection in a woman who's been bleeding for 12 years. And he faces death itself in the loss of this young girl. And in each of these four accounts, we see the difference between fear and peace. So again, that question, what is it that can move our hearts from fear to peace. We'll try to answer that together as we consider Jesus from these incredible stories. The first account we'll be looking at takes place in Mark 4, verses 35 to 41. This is uh, towards the beginning of Jesus' ministry. People are, of course, amazed at his teaching and his miracles, but they don't really understand who he is or what to do with him. 
So after, after day after day of teaching and ministry, Jesus decides, decides to take his disciples across the Sea of Galilee. And we know right away that Jesus is utterly exhausted. He lies down, he falls asleep, and he's gone. He's, he's exhausted. He's deeply sleeping. And we just realized Jesus got tired. He had needs. He needed rest. It reminds us Jesus is really and truly human. He's sleeping. But then as he's sleeping in the boat, verse 37 tells us, a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so the boat was already filling. And we know that the Sea of Galilee is famous for its windstorms. It's surrounded by mountains and sort of like a basin, and strong, strong winds can explode out of nowhere. And this particular storm Mark is remembering was unforgettable. It's a great windstorm. It's enough to have professional fishermen who spend hours and hours in boats panic in fear. They cannot keep up with these massive waves going over the boat, filling the boat. The text tells us it's in the evening, so it's dark, and you can imagine the ship just tossed and turning, filling with water, about to go down. It'd be truly terrifying, wouldn't it? And what a strange juxtaposition we have. The disciples, professional fishermen, those who know their way around a boat, they're panicking while Jesus is what? Sleeping. You know, sometimes that's how we feel in hard times, isn't it? Feels like we're dying. Feels like God has fallen asleep. Feels like it's all coming apart. Feels like God has, he's not paying attention. The disciples are feeling that. They're afraid and they express themselves in this anger. Look at Mark 4.38. Mark 4.38. The text tells us, Jesus was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Do you hear what's in their hearts? We're perishing, and Jesus doesn't care. That's a bitter thought, isn't it? Have you ever sensed that thought in your heart? Have you ever had that sense causing you fear? Things are coming undone. Jesus doesn't care. Look how Jesus responds. We see this in Mark 4, 39. Jesus awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. The wind ceased and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? See this amazing picture of Jesus. Here he is tired enough to need to sleep peaceful enough to be able to sleep through a storm and strong enough to rebuke the wind and have it instantly obey. Who is this? Jesus rebukes weather like I rebuke my dog and tell it to quit jumping on the company. But the weather actually obeys Jesus. He says, peace and the wind is gone. The waves fade into flat. 
It's so interesting to note, the disciples were afraid before, very afraid. They were afraid of those waves filling that boat, going down in that sea in the middle of the night. Very afraid. But as much as they were afraid before, they're really afraid now. They're all the more afraid. Everyone would know Greek when it comes to this phrase. Mark 4.41, they were filled with great fear. The Greek there is megaphobeo. Megaphobia, massive fear, great fear. They were afraid of the storm. The storm's afraid of Jesus. Now the disciples are afraid of Jesus. You know, it's one thing to be afraid of a storm that threatens a boat. That's at least uh, normal to us. But the disciples here are even more afraid of the storm that is the man who was just sleeping inside of the boat, but commands the very weather. A man with that kind of power is terrifying. So they ask, who then is this? And here we get to the core message of the Gospel of Mark. Jesus, truly human, is also the very Son of God. The Creator Himself who is in absolute control of all that he has made. The message of Mark is that Jesus is the eternal son of God, the second person of the Trinity. In fact, he has taken on human flesh and come to walk among us. And you know, that idea when taken seriously can be terrifying. In the modern mind, Jesus seems almost cute, doesn't he? Uh, just nice to a fault. But you know, in the gospel accounts, people are often afraid of Jesus. And as we encounter these stories, we realize, you know, if you've never been at least a little afraid of Jesus, you may have never truly encountered just who he really is. Do you see his unbridled power as the creator of the universe? Do you realize that your life, even right now, is utterly dependent upon him? Do you know that you are totally accountable to him for how you've lived, that he knows you, your mind, your heart, your thoughts, your deeds? Do you realize you'll have to personally engage with him? These are sober thoughts, and they can truly be terrifying but look at Jesus' challenge to his disciples. Look at what he says in Mark 4, 40. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Why were they afraid in that moment? Why were they afraid of the storm? Well, you could say, well, because it's a storm. Why were they afraid after the storm? Why were they afraid of Jesus? Well, did you see who he is? Did you see his strength? But what are they missing? Why are you so afraid, Jesus says? Have you still no what? Faith. Uh, we need to realize everyone's putting their faith in something all the time. You and I, we each trust something for our peace, for our safety, for our prosperity, for our satisfaction. And fear often comes, doesn't it, as we realize our faith is poorly located. The boat we've trusted in is sinkable. 
But Jesus here is saying, if you could just see me and who I am and my heart towards you, if you would just trust me, you wouldn't have to be terrified even of a life-threatening storm because, Jesus is saying, of who I am for you. It's easy for those who follow Jesus to have a compartmentalized faith, isn't it? And that's why we're afraid. The disciples call Jesus teacher, so they're willing to trust him in some way for what he's teaching. But what happened to that trust in the middle of the storm? Gone. Jesus is saying to his people, I'm good for your trust in every situation. You don't need to be afraid. Yes, I'm strong, but I'm kind. Remember what the disciples had said? They said to him, don't you care? Friends, do you realize that's the reason he's there in the boat in the first place? Because he cares. That's the reason the Son of God is here in human flesh and needs to sleep. It's because he so deeply cares. We see our first picture of Jesus as the lamb-like lion, the lion-like lamb. Weak enough in his, divine, in his human nature that he needs, he needs to sleep. Strong enough in his divine nature to control the very weather. And kind enough that he would come for us and care for us so that we could know his peace. Even in the storm. That takes us to the second encounter. This one goes from in chapter 5 verses 1 to 20. Jesus here puts all of his disciples in boats. Um, we saw that. They made it through the storm. Now it's at peace. And they arrive at the other side of the sea to the country of the Gerasenes. And immediately when Jesus comes out of the boat, there meets him uh, maybe one of the scariest individuals we could conceive of. This guy's terrifying. He lives in the tombs. He's dangerous. He's violent. And the text insists he was unbindable. Again and again, he had been so evil, so violent, so destructive that the community found they would need to bind him with shackles and chains. But do you see what the text says? He would break them in part continually. He has this evil kind of supernatural strength. In fact, in verse 4, no one had the strength to subdue him. Strangely strong, breaking chains, violent, unbindable, dangerous, unsubduable, and horribly disturbed, always crying out, even cutting himself. Oh, it's a terrifying individual in a terrifying situation. Why is he like this? We know from verse 9, Jesus asked him, what is your name? He replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. Did you hear that awful singular to plural? My name is Legion. We are many. The reason this man is like this is because he is possessed by maybe thousands of demons. A Roman legion would include thousands of soldiers, and it just gives you a picture of what's going on in this man. He is filled with deep and dark spiritual evil. Uh, we, we need to remember here, the Bible teaches the reality of the demonic. Uh, we know that demons are fallen angels. They've rebelled against God. They hate God. And their purpose is to deceive 
and to destroy. That's what they love to do. They love to destroy the image of God in human beings, and they do it with deception. They do it with condemnation, and that's what they're doing in this man. They're destroying his very sense of self, destroying his body, his psyche. Only God knows what this man's life was like to bring him to this place, but we see here he is helpless in the power of demonic control. You know, without Jesus, we're vulnerable to demonic deceit and destruction as well, aren't we? Perhaps maybe in more refined ways in the West. I thought of this text from Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no, what? Opportunity to the devil. But something amazing occurs uh, in this passage, when this man, full of these demons, sees Jesus from afar, he runs towards him, and do you see it? Falls down before him, crying out with a loud voice, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Please don't torment me. So we see here, the demons are overwhelmed in the presence of Jesus. Uh, it's, it's again that dichotomy at first, the community is afraid of the demons. But now we see the demons are afraid of Jesus. Why are they so afraid? Well, they know something that no one else really in the book of Mark has caught on to quite yet. They know who Jesus is. Did you see what they call him in verse 7? Son of the Most High God. Uh, demons have actually pretty good theology they know who Jesus is. They just hate him. But even as they hate him, they are forced to be submissive to him. And so they beg Jesus to be sent into these nearby pigs. This is a really strange account. Uh, you see in verse 11, great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. The demons begged him saying, send us to the pigs, let us enter them. And Jesus gives them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. The herd numbering about 2,000 rushed down the steam bank into the sea and drowned into the sea. What's going on here? Well, we know that with the coming and the reign of Jesus Christ, one day demons and all their evil will be judged in hell forever. He will put that to an end. But not yet. The time here is not yet in this story. And maybe that's why they say, what have you to do to us? We weren't expecting this kind of confrontation from you yet. But there he is in his power, in his majesty. They bow to him. They have to beg him. And he allows them to go into these pigs. Why? Well, I, I think at least as evidence. It's evidence that Jesus has ultimate power over the demons. Jesus has sovereign power to destroy the destroyers. They bow to him. They submit to him. One day he will end them, and he is the one who saves us from them, and everyone needs to know it. In verse 14, we're told the herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country. Can you imagine that story? They run back. Remember the crazy demon man who lives in the tombs who breaks all our chains? This guy named Jesus casts out the demons. 
No, really? How do you know? I just watched 2,000 pigs jump off a cliff. I watched 2,000 pigs jump off a cliff. Wow. And so we see in Mark 5, 14, the response of the community. The people came to see what it was that had happened. The whole community is um, excited, interested, afraid. Verse 15, they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion sitting there, clothed in his right mind, and they were, did you see it? Afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs, and they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. So this community rushes in, and they see this man, this man who had been the terror of their neighborhoods, totally transformed. He's sitting, not raging. He's clothed, not naked. He's in his right mind, not destruction. Jesus has given him peace. He's given him peace. It's amazing to realize, first the community was afraid of the demoniac, but the demons were afraid of Jesus And now the community is all the more afraid. Afraid of who? Afraid of Jesus Christ. The demoniac was totally out of their, or the demoniac was mostly out of their control. Jesus is totally out of their control. And they beg him to leave. He's just too much. But notice, the former demoniac is not afraid of Jesus at all. Look at these beautiful verses in Mark 5, 18. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him and everyone marveled. Did you see this man now? This man now longs to be with Jesus. The disciples have been afraid. This community is afraid. This man is no longer afraid of anything. He's no longer afraid at all. He's got one wish. It's to be with Jesus. How is it that everyone else is afraid and he isn't? I think it comes down to this. Our fear diminishes when through our faith in Jesus, we realize that his power, his great power towards us is expressed primarily in mercy. That will wipe away your fears. When you see how powerful Jesus is and that he expresses his power towards his people in mercy, in kindness, in healing, in salvation, that washes away your fear. We realize this here. Why did Jesus undertake this whole thing of crossing this sea in the middle of a storm? In part, it was to deliver this man, the man who people would say was the most undeserving, so lost, nearly evil incarnate, Jesus came for him and healed him and invoked his power for him 
to save him. The man who was a monster is now to be a messenger. He longs to be with Jesus, but Jesus says, I have a different job for you. I want you to go back and I want you to tell everyone what the Lord has done for you. Tell everyone what I have done for you. And he did. Can you imagine that testimony? They all know who he is. They all know what he's done. They all know what he's like. They all know what he's been. And now he comes back into town totally different, renewed, reformed, remade. How can this be? And the man tells them of Jesus and what he's done. Hey, church, isn't that the way it's supposed to work for us as well? Has Jesus done anything for you? Has he done great things for you? Has he told you to tell the story of his beauty and his majesty in your life? And do you realize here that the peace Jesus brings us is meant to be part of our witness? The man was in chaos, now he's at peace. Listen, if we are just as afraid and angry and bitter and out of control as everyone else, what does that say about our trust in Christ? And how does that taint our message about Christ? Why are you so afraid? Oh, you of little faith. The fruit of the Spirit is what? Peace. We get to tell the news of peace with God in the spirit of peace because of who Jesus is for us. That's scene two. Now we go to scene three. Jesus and his disciples head back across the lake again. Um, and a great crowd gathers, a massive crowd. They've been anticipating him, waiting for him. And all of a sudden the crowd parts as this synagogue ruler approaches with yet another version of our great fear. And he falls at Jesus' feet. Just by the way, this seems to be the proper response to Jesus, doesn't it? Fall before his feet. But the man expresses just, maybe it's my worst fear. His daughter who he loves is dying. My daughter's dying. My little daughter's at the point of death. And so he begs Jesus, come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. Come, it's urgent. Please come. And Jesus, so kindly, goes with him. So they're on this urgent trip and this massive crowd is following. But all of a sudden it has this strange interruption due to this woman kind of hiding in the shadows Verse 24 says, a great crowd followed Jesus, thronged about him. But there was this woman who'd had a discharge of blood for 12 years, who'd suffered much from many physicians, and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. So here we encounter an example of the horrors of chronic illness, and some of you know that very well, where the illness is constant and there are no answers. And we see in this woman, all her fears have come true. She bleeds and bleeds and no one can help. And that horribly ironic phrase, she had suffered much under many physicians. The experts had not been able to help. In fact, they made her worse. They made her worse physically. They made her worse economically. She lost all her savings. And in fact, she's horribly off socially as well. In this culture, she would be considered unclean, untouchable. The community would turn away. She's not welcome. She's in a horrible situation. And yet uniquely, out of all the characters in these stories we're looking at today, 
She's the one who will be pointed out as having faith. She's the one that has faith. She believes that Jesus is so powerful. She thinks, if I could just touch his robes, I'd be healed. And so she kind of sneaks through the crowd, reaches towards him, grabs at his cloak, and the text tells us she feels it. She feels it internally and instantly. She's healed. Oh, it's too good to be true. It's too good to be true. She's made well, and she knows it. And at this point, you can imagine her thinking, I'll just slink away unnoticed. But you realize Jesus won't let that happen. Even in the urgency to go and deal with Jairus' daughter, Jesus stops everything. He pauses it all. Look at what he says in verse 30. Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out of him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? In verse 31, the disciples are kind of incredulous. Um, Everyone's touching your garments, Jesus. There's a crowd pressing around you. How can you say, who touched me? But Jesus says, no. No. Someone touched me. He looks around to see who it is. Verse Mark 5, 32. He looked around to see who had done it. And the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in what? In fear and trembling and fell down before him. And told him the whole truth. You know, she's afraid. She's, she's unclean and now she's touched him. This is very awkward. Um, she stopped, the whole crowd is looking at her. This is, this, is, this is the last thing she wants is the attention of this entire crowd. But Jesus insists on it. Why? Look at Mark 5.34. He said to her, what's this word? Daughter. Do you hear what's in that word? Daughter. You see, the synagogue ruler cares about his 12-year-old daughter who's dying. And the father in heaven cares about this daughter who's been suffering for 12 years. And so this word daughter connotates you are intimately welcomed. You are known and you are loved. And you are treasured. You are made new. And you can go in what? What does Jesus say? Your faith has made you well. Go in Peace. What takes our hearts from fear to peace? It's falling at the feet of Jesus and putting our faith in Him. She can go in peace knowing she's loved and accepted by God through her faith in Jesus Christ. Incredible. Well, that moment, uh, it's good news for this woman. It's bad news for Jairus. We see in verse 35, while he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house someone who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? Oh my gosh. I was imagining this week what it would be like for Jairus. You're trying to get Jesus to hurry. You're trying to get him to your daughter. It's your, it's your last hope for, this, for your daughter whom you love so much. You're trying to get him to move. You're trying to get him there on time. You think if he just gets there on time, there's hope. And then he stops. He stops to deal with this woman. As if you're Jairus, you're thinking, okay, I'm sorry, you're bleeding. My daughter's dying. Jesus, you've got to get here. And now he hears, it's too late. It's too late. It's over. What would you do? 
What would you do? The most fearful news a parent can receive. What would you do? Would you collapse? Would you cry out in anger? Would you raise at that wom- rage at that woman for getting in the way? Would you rage at Jesus for not coming fast enough? Look what Jesus says to the man as he hears the worst news of his life. Overhearing, Mark 5, 36, overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. In the middle of the worst of times, how do you take Jesus' words right here? What does your heart do with these words? Jairus just heard his daughter is dead, and Jesus says, do not fear, only believe. As the story goes on, Jesus keeps going to Jairus' house, and they arrive, verse 37, we see he didn't allow anybody to follow him up except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. As they came to the house, there's a commotion of people weeping, wailing, Jesus says something very strange. Why are you making a commotion? The child is not dead, but sleeping. As you read the Gospels, you see Jesus talks like this a lot. Talks like this a lot. It seems to be his trash talk on death. Jesus says, I wake people up from death like you wake people up from a nap. But these people don't believe that. Verse 40, they laughed at him. They mocked him. But he puts them all outside. He takes only the child's father and mother and that intimate group of disciples, and he went to where the child was. And here we see this sweet, gentle moment. Jesus takes this little girl by the hand and says, little girl, arise. What happens immediately? She's up. She's walking. She is alive. And immediately everyone is overcome with amazement. And what does Jesus show here in this account? Jesus shows his lordship over death itself. His lordship over death itself. Do not fear, only believe because I'm the Lord of life. I'm sovereign over death. And the family now is at peace. The family is at peace. The bridge between fear and peace, even in the face of storms, of demons, of sickness and ostracism and death itself, the bridge between fear and peace is falling at the feet of Jesus in faith, seeing who he is and trusting yourself again and again and again to him. He is worthy of our faith in the midst of fear. Why? Because he's the lion and the lamb. He's the lion and the lamb. Notice a few things about faith. Faith arose out of desperation and need, didn't it? The disciples were desperate in the midst of that storm. That man was desperate in the middle of that demonic oppression. Uh, Jairus and his family were desperate as his daughter was dying. That lady was desperate in her bleeding. Hard times are meant to wake us up and show us our need for Christ. Faith arises out of desperation and need. But also note that faith grows in the display of Jesus' powerful mercy. 
Jesus' strength continually shows itself in mercy for his people who trust in him. You know, to trust in somebody, you need to know both their strength and their character. If my kid's up in a tree uh, on a a high branch and I say, jump, my kid needs to know that, first of all, I can catch him. I, I I can. And not only that I can, but that I will. It's like that with Jesus. And you see here, look at the strength of his lion likeness. He's the son of God with authoritative power over nature, demons, sickness, and death. Ponder his lamb likeness as well. He's not just terrible in his power. He's kind in his power. He entered into our broken world that's full of our fears. He rode those waves in killable human flesh. He endured the temptation and destruction the devil inspires. He knows rejection and even the spilling of his own blood. He knows death. He gave his life up for us in death on a cross. As sinners, we know we deserve God's wrath. Don't we? Why is the world so broken? Why is there so much suffering, devastation, and evil? It's broken because of our sin. We've each turned against God. We've denied him. We've hated him. We've broken his law. We've been rebels from the heart. And that's why we're in this world full of fears. But Jesus has entered into it, all of it, for us, for our sake. He lived a perfect life. He died on the cross in the place, in our place as a substitute, taking on himself the wrath we deserve for, for our sins. And he conquered sin and all its effects through his life, his death, and his resurrection. And so we see him, especially at the cross and in the resurrection, as the lion and the lamb, the one who is strong and majestic and powerful, and the one who is so kind. And so full of mercy, the one who flexes his strength for the behalf of his people. So what are we supposed to do with him, with uh, these accounts then? What, what will we do with Jesus? What is the defining factor in your heart? Is it fear or is it peace? Now, we all know very well there's plenty of things in our lives today to inspire fear, to stoke up anger. But church today, let's put our eyes on Christ. In our hearts, let's fall before him and place our faith in the one who is the lion and the lamb, the one who is so strong but who uses his strength in kindness and mercy for his people. Let me give you a few encouragements as we finish our time together. Romans 5.1. Paul says there, Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have what? Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's where this starts. Have you believed the gospel? Do you know that Jesus alone can save you from your sin? If you trust in him, the Bible declares you're justified, that God has made you right with him, that he has given the perfection of Jesus to you so that you might be right with God, accepted by him as a child. And you have peace with God today through Jesus Christ if you put your faith in him. 
That's where this starts. That's how we move from fear to peace. There's nowhere at peace with God. Also, we want to live in his peace. Look at Romans 8, 6. Paul writes, to set the mind on the flesh is death. The mind of the flesh is that selfish autonomy. Living for now on your own sufficiency. But to set the mind on the spirit, to look to Christ, to trust in him, to follow him. To set the mind on the spirit is what? Life and peace. Live in that peace. The fruit of the spirit is peace. And let's show that in our relationships. Look at Romans 12, 18. Paul says there, if possible, so far as it depends on you, what should we do? Live peaceably. With who? All. Blessed are the peacemakers. Jesus' peace is to transform us and to express itself in the way we relate to others. And finally, share the message of peace. Isaiah 52, 7, the prophet says this, How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God, the God who loves you, your God reigns. Found of life, our God, our Lord Jesus, he reigns. He reigns over the weather, over the demons. He has overcome our sin. He reigns over sickness. He reigns over death. All of these things in his time when he returns will be put to right. So put your faith in him. Do not be afraid. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these glorious pictures of Jesus and who he is. And this incredible um, conjunction of his majesties and being strong like a lion. Kind and merciful like a lamb and certainly worthy of our trust. Help us to put our faith in him for salvation, for every moment of every day and our circumstances for our future. May we know your peace through him, and may we live out your peace in our relationships. May we spread your peace as we share the gospel. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening, and we invite you to visit us Sunday mornings here at Fountain of Life Fellowship. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com.